0: In the name of Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, one God. Amen. Last week, Peter completed uh, a wonderful series on the 23rd Psalm. The sheep has not left the building. (laughs) The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And he talked about goodness and mercy following us all the rest of our lives. And about God providing a dwelling place so we might live in his house forever. Comforting psalm. It gives us hope for times of conflict and fear and sorrow. And the thing that struck me as I was preparing this message was the role of Jesus in this psalm. Our shepherd, our provider, our protector, comforter, our provider of goodness, and mercy. A gentle and subtle reminder to us as we approach the season of Advent beginning next week. A time of waiting and preparation for the celebration of the nativity of Jesus at Christmas time, as well as waiting and preparing for the return of Jesus. Advent. A time of welcoming Jesus into our daily lives. So you may have noticed from the scripture lesson that Maggie read this morning that the reading for this week gives us an opportunity to look past Advent, look past Christmas, past Lent, and look to Good Friday in the so-called trial of Jesus. As you may know, the Presbyterian Lectionary is a published listing of a few passages from the Old and New Testament each week that Over a three-year period covers the entire Bible. It's not limited to the church calendar, obviously. So occasionally we get the opportunity uh, to look at a new thought for consideration, a phrase or an idea that could be explored. And when Peter asked if I could preach today, I looked to the lectionary as a starting point for possible use in a message. Thinking that I could also stretch Peter's 23rd Psalm into a fifth week, which I'm glad I didn't because it was just a great series and a great ending, or to start an introduction into Advent, which you are probably good or glad that I didn't because it'll come soon enough. But as I read the passage from John, the extra verse, verse 38, caught my attention. In particular, Pilate's question of, What is truth? Now you all know I still have amateur status here in the pulpit, the pulpit that it is. (laughs) Unlike our professionals like Cindy and Peter and Diana, I'm still a student of the text. I have a lot to learn, so much to learn. But I know I have read John's gospel many times and I don't remember reading Pilate's question, What is truth? Now, in the Gospel of John, there are over a dozen references to the truth, many of which are very familiar. John 1 14, And the Word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of a Father's Son, full of grace and truth. John 1 17, The law indeed was given through Moses but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. John 8, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. John 14, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. Throughout the Old Testament, there are references about truth. Ecclesiastes, for everything there is a season, a time to live, a time to die, a time to weep, and a time to laugh, a time to keep the truth, and a time to lie. Okay, for you Bible scholars, don't grab the pew Bibles. That thing about the lie, that's not in there. (laughs) That was a fib, not the truth. But let's take a clinical look at the truth. In verse 37, Jesus claimed to bear witness to the truth. In verse 38, Pilate asked, what is truth? Today, many people sound like Pilate. A Barn research group study on what Americans believe asked the question, is there absolute truth? 66% of adults, two-thirds of adults, responded with, there is no such thing as absolute truth. Different people can define truth in conflicting ways and still be correct. Kind of a Rudy Giuliani statement. So is truth whatever you believe? Let's summarize two basic views regarding truth. Truth corresponds to reality. This is absolute truth. A statement is true if and only if it corresponds to factual reality. Example, the statement, I am standing in front of you. That statement is true if and only if I'm standing in front of you. And it must be true or false. It can't be both true and false. Number two, truth is relative, not absolute. Relative truth. What is true depends on the views of persons or cultures not on whether statements correspond to objective reality or absolute truth. For example, one person can say, Jesus is Lord. And another person can say, Allah is Lord. Both statements will be true by definition if they accurately express the sentiments of the speaker. Yet people who say there's no absolute truth make decisions every day based on things they believe are true or false, and I do the same. You can turn on a light switch believing in the reality of electricity. They can drive a car believing in the effectiveness and reliability of an engine. They could purchase Lions tickets believing this will be the year. <laughs> And that's very obvious that that is not absolute truth. Christians have historically affirmed that truth corresponds to the reality that God is real. That God is a God of truth. As defined in Deuteronomy. And that Jesus is the truth and the life. And the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. So having looked at the clinical side and definition of truth, what is truth? It's a good question. Truth, as we all know from our own experience, is essential to healthy relationships and strong communities. Truth is a foundation of every healthy relationship, whether it's your spouse or a business partner, a good neighbor, or your best friend. You have to believe the other person is telling the truth. If they ever lie or betray your trust, your relationship will never be the same. You'll always be wondering, is she telling the truth? Is he telling the truth? And truth is critical to living in community with each other. We again have to trust individuals and companies to do what they promise. When truth is compromised, community breaks down. Dr. Philip McClarty writes, We see this in the political arena. Politicians have talked out of both sides of their mouths for so long, we no longer have confidence in what they say or do. When he took the oath of office following Richard Nixon, Gerald Ford said, Truth is the glue that holds government together. No doubt about it. And we could go on to say, The absence of truth is the solvent that quickly dissolves it. Truth is essential to healthy relationships and strong communities. That's the first point. The second is truth is rare. As a person steps into a witness box in a court of law, they they are asked, do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God? Anything less is inadmissible in a court of law. There ought to be some way that we can apply that oath to everyday life. Well, most of us, most of us, most of us are not guilty of telling outright lies. We're not altogether honest either. We do it all the time. And I emphasize the I and we. I tell little white lies. Cute little phrase, little white lies. Send me more information, and I'll get back to you. I'd love to help out, but I've got a prior commitment. And the check's in the mail. There's even that classic taken directly from Scripture, from the story of Adam and Eve in the garden. God asked, where are you? Adam replied, I was afraid because I was naked and hid. So far, so good. God Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And here comes Adam's reply. Gathering all of his manliness, responsibility, and integrity, Adam replies with, The woman made me do it. The first fib in Scripture. And nothing but the truth, so help you God. Turning back to our passage this morning, Pilate's question, What is truth? was debated long before Pilate, and is still being debated today. Kevin Ruffcorn, a Lutheran minister writes, relative truth is currently popular. What is true for you is not necessarily true for me. And what is true for me may not be true for you. We have half truths which people who hold differing opinions call bold-faced lies. At the same time, we have inconvenient truths, which have been labeled fake news by a few. We all have a desire to live authentic lives, not to live a lie, but to live truthfully. But when Pilate asks Jesus, what is truth? The answer is silence. Jesus answers him with a silence that is overwhelming, so overwhelming that Pilate turns away without a reply. Some commentaries say that the irony is that the answer to his question is standing right in front of him. And just so there's no doubt, Jesus put it into words later for his disciple Thomas when he said, I am the truth. Jesus did not say to Pilate that religion was the truth, or that his own teachings were the truth, or that what people taught about him was the truth, or that the Bible was the truth, or the church, or any system of ethics or theological doctrine. There are individual truths in all of those that we believe to be true but individual truths were not what Pilate was after and what oftentimes you and I are after. Truths about this or that are dime a dozen, including some religious truths we hear on TV. The truth is what Pilate is after, the truth about who we are and who God is if there is a God, the truth about life, the truth about death and the truth about truth itself. That's the truth we're all seeking. Again, Kevin Roughcorn writes, "Jesus makes Pilate a promise. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. Pilate doesn't listen, but we might. And if we do, what will we hear Jesus say? It's simple that we are enough, that we are worthy of love and honor and respect, that we don't have to do anything, we don't have to buy anything to earn God's love because God has already given us that love freely and abundantly in Jesus Christ. From the very first verses of John's Gospel, we hear that the only begotten Son has taken our flesh in order to reveal to us the Father's heart. So the truth is that God is a God of love and that God loves you and me. At one time or another, the church has proclaimed that sinners and women, people of color, gays, are all unlovable. All of us have felt unlovable or have been told that we are unlovable. The truth is that God loves us with a steadfast love, forgives us unconditionally, and acts with overwhelming grace in our lives. Sometimes it's difficult for us to live in that truth. We can convince ourselves that Jesus is just too good to be true. We think that God can't forgive someone who has done what we have done, what I have done. We say to ourselves, God's love must be earned. We have to be good people. Believing that the truth is too good to be true, we live in the lie. Real truth is defined by the silence of Jesus. Is kind of like that. If it is truth, It may very well make us feel like we're a little bit out of step with the rest of uh, the world and the stage of life. But the point isn't to compare ourselves to what others are doing or saying, but to keep with the teachings of the inward teacher. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So finally, I, I want to say that I believe that if this really is the truth, it'll lead me and you to be more loving, more open, more understanding of myself and others. I will grow as a person. If this thing I accept as truth makes me grow in this way, then I think it's the truth. But if it makes me smaller as a person, makes me more fearful, more isolated, more angry, more closed off, then it's not the truth. And I need to repent to move into a different direction, to cast aside that truth. And I believe that each of us have experienced both situations and recognized the truth and the fib. The truth will set us free, and that freedom will grow towards love. And if you have any doubt about love or truth, then simply look to that cross, that empty cross, the place where God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes believes in him may not perish but may have eternal life and dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Hallelujah and amen.